0: Yeah. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. All my exes live in Texas. Thank goodness I only dated red waves. It's high noon for Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Please follow the podcast on Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or join the Telegram information stream. Dot me slash I'm your moderator. If you want to contribute to the show, I'm your moderator.substack.com. And I finally have some t-shirts. You can see them right now if you're following me on Instagram or Telegram. I have put pictures up on both. It is a nice white t-shirt of a very fine cotton feel. At least I assume it's cotton. That's why I said cotton feel. Just comparing it. Favorably to cotton. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck the fabric is. It's probably cotton, man. Maybe there's some maybe there's some like uh some other stuff in there too. I don't know. Polyester. Maybe it's a nice blend. Got a little bit of got a little springy stretch to it, maybe. But on the front, there's a nice red panel with some yellow lettering that says I survived COVID. And the C in COVID is the sickle and the hammer, (laughs) hammer and sickle from the fucking communists. And on the back it says, Be reasonable. Thank you to my buddy Will for helping get these made. We have a a few other designs on the way soon. I have a nice one with a, a gray ribbon on the front that says, I support your cause. Doesn't matter what cause it is. It's for the Obamis out there who support every cause, even though they don't know anything about causes. And then we're going to get a nice one that looks like uh, some communist propaganda. But it's Gavin Newsom's face. Kim Jong Newsom. As I now call him, since we live in North Korea here in California, Gavin is trying to shut the state down again. It won't work. I was going to talk about Texas first, but I'm just going to knock this COVID story out because I am interviewing the owner of the Pineapple Hill Saloon. You guys probably saw the viral video where the woman in Sherman Oaks is uh, heading into her restaurant that's in a strip mall there, the same place where the In-N-Out is on Van Nuys and Ventura or just off Ventura. It's like Van Nuys and Moorpark. Um, and she goes into her place and then she walks around through the parking lot and this is the day after they closed down outdoor dining, even though she'd invested all this time and money into getting the outdoor dining going. She walks around and she sees a huge tent with tables set up for craft services for a TV production and has the totally natural reaction of what in the fuck is this? And the video is heartbreaking. I mean, you can see she's pretty broken up about it. I'm not going to tell that story anymore. We'll let her tell it herself on the podcast. But yesterday, Admiral Brett Giroir, who's part of the coronavirus task force and has been since the beginning, he's actually the guy that handled a lot of the logistical stuff uh, in terms of coordinating PPE and ventilators and everything else around the country. And he said... Absolutely in no uncertain terms that there is no evidence at all supporting the closure of outdoor dining. And of course there isn't. It's ridiculous. Here is good old Brett's direct quote. or actually, this is from a piece in the Epoch Times or Epic Times. I think it's Epoch, but they say epic, but not like epic, bro. Girard, the assistant secretary for health and human services, said on Fox News, America's newsroom, that he hasn't seen, quote, any data that says you need to shut down outdoor dining or outdoor bars. I think would be we could be causing a lot more harm by overly restrictive recommendations that are not supported by the science. What I am saying is the evidence clearly does not support limitations on things like outdoor dining, particularly that are spaced outdoor bars. The evidence just isn't there. You know, the evidence just isn't there, Gerard continued. And remember, shutting down completely, particularly if you don't have evidence, can be counterproductive. When you do more, it frustrates the population because it's not evidence-based, particularly when politicians violate their own rules. We have to be reasonable. We have to be fair. We have to be science-based. Thank you for the shout-out, Brett Jawar. We do have to be reasonable. And there is nothing reasonable about locking down outdoor dining. Sounds great, right? Well, here's the next sentence in the article. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci, also a member of the White House Pandemic Task Force, said Monday that he has spoken with California health officials and that he agreed with their lockdown measures. I said, You know, you really don't have any choice. This is Fauci on CNN. When you have that challenge to the healthcare system, you've got to do something about that. When you reach a certain critical point of the flexibility of hospital beds, and you see more cases of COVID coming in, you could have a real challenge and maybe even a crisis with regard to beds and personnel to take care of the people in those beds. And that's the reason why California has certain sections looking at the possibility of a lockdown. No, no, no. Fauci is lying, just like Fauci always lies. That is utter bullshit. There is no science behind what Fauci is saying. Jawa is right on the science period. There is no other science. There's no data anywhere in the world that says outdoor dining is dangerous. There's not really any data in the world that says indoor dining is dangerous. The only reason anyone believes that is because we had that fucking graphic from like April that said that like mapped out like it went from this table over to this table and it all went through the the heating and air conditioning system and it traveled from this table over to the other table and now everybody's dead. And we all saw that fucking graphic and no one has thought about it since then. And that's why everyone believes that indoor dining is dangerous, except for the fact that it isn't dangerous. Show me where it's been dangerous. Where is this spread caused by restaurants? And the politicians can lie to you all they want, and they can say that I think the spread has you know, the cases have risen because we allowed the outdoor dining. No, the cases have risen. Because you started calling the flu coronavirus and because your cycle threshold is way too high. So you get a whole lot of things that aren't coronavirus and that certainly aren't transmissible virus classified as a covid case. Cases don't matter. The case number doesn't matter. It hasn't mattered since the beginning. I've said it a million fucking times. Do people listen to me? Only you guys. I'm screaming into the void. Here is a guy named Carl DeMaio. Breaking news out of San Diego County. Data for flu infections shows only 36 cases so far this year. In a typical year, we get over 17,073 on average. Once again, I'm calling for a full audit of the COVID-19 data we are seeing reported from our public health system. You do not need to be an epidemiologist to figure that out. This is one of those things, man, where everybody's like, are you an expert? I'm going to trust the experts. You're not an expert. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not a quote unquote expert. This doesn't require expert brain shit. If we usually get 17,000 cases of flu a year by this time, and instead we have 36, well, God damn it, something's going wrong. But we have all these COVID cases. Florida is now making their clinics publish the cycle threshold so that they can actually see whether or not completely irrelevant tests are coming up and setting public policy like they are in California and these other states. What's happening is ridiculous. There is no science involved in this. And of course, Anthony Fauci didn't cite any science when he made his statement either. He's simply saying that something could happen. You know, you really don't have any choice. Yes, you fucking do. Here's a choice. We didn't have to impose any restrictions at all this whole time. Everything we've done for nine months has been for nothing. We have destroyed people's lives again and again and again. Some of them permanently. We have taken kids out of school. Some of them never to return to school. We are destroying a generation. Parents are raising their children to be annoying little pussies who are going to be wearing their masks and believing that everyone around them is a vector of disease for the rest of their lives. What kind of social life are these children going to have? And then you have their parents enforcing the idea that everyone else is bad and stupid and evil for not wearing their masks, even though that is good and smart and responsible, because we don't need society becoming a bunch of communist masky pussies. And that's what we have. Hollywood is probably 75% masky. And then 20% the silent generation. (laughs) And then 5% like us. But we will still win. Just like we will win the election, which brings me to Texas. How do you like that segue? Bam, nailed it. Fuck yourself, commies. That segue is coming straight at you like a rocket to the heart of your commie core. To Fort Obami. That's what Liz Warren is going to rename all these these military bases she doesn't like. She's going to rename them after her friends. Fort Obami. Maybe fort is too triggering. The... Obama military safe space. Maybe that would work. Although military sounds a little threatening too. The Communist Obama hashtag resistance center for violent armament. Nope, violence fucked. Because words can be violent, and the word violent is violent. And that will trigger everyone. So we can't name it that. But I digress. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has two huge balls. And also one big red, white, and blue heart. You thought I was going to say dick, but I didn't. I said heart. He went ahead and sued other states which is just about the most gangster-ass thing you can do. So good for you, Ken. He sued Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And why did he do that? So that the Supreme Court would invalidate the certifications of their fraudulent elections and leave it up to the state legislators, as the Constitution says, to decide their electors. That's wonderful. And it's exactly what should happen. Because what we have here is a whole bunch of illegitimate elections. I wish he sued California, New York, Minnesota, Illinois. What else? New Jersey could use a nice lawsuit. I think New Hampshire and Massachusetts and Connecticut and Rhode Island. And Vermont could all use a nice big lawsuit, but you can just put them all into one because those five states are like the size of my two-bedroom apartment. And then we're going to have to definitely give lawsuits to Washington and Oregon. And then hopefully at that point, we can eliminate all those governors from civic life and put them in prison for destroying their states on purpose at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party. You think I'm joking? You think I'm overboard? I'm not. It's what's happening. Read the Axios article from yesterday about Chinese influence in our country. One of the keys? Eric Swalwell got completely played by a Chinese spy. She decided to bang him a few times and now he's compromised, which explains most of what Eric Swalwell does, usually telling lies to CNN while looking like a scared teenager who is about to have an acne outbreak. He can barely talk who elected him. So here's a little passage from Ken Paxton's. Beautiful. Lawsuit, the most beautiful lawsuit anyone's ever seen. No one's ever seen anything like it. Trumpian language is appropriate in situations like this. Oh, and the other amazing thing is that Trump is now encouraging the attorney generals from the other red states to join the lawsuit. And they definitely should. I mean, the real key here is that. In a federal election, other states are affected by the outcomes in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Texas and other states that aren't run by communists are, should not be, I should say, subject to cheating in other states and then be governed by a criminal communist usurper just because these states can't follow the constitution or their own laws. And that's what's happened. So here's uh Paxton in the suit as set forth in the accompanying brief and complaint. The 2020 election suffered from significant and unconstitutional irregularities in the defendant States. First bullet point, non-legislative actors purported amendments to States duly enacted election laws in violation of the electors clause, Clause is vesting state legislatures with plenary authority regarding the appointment of presidential electors and plenary means that the legislatures own that authority. If they give it away where they have in some states, they can take it back. Bullet point number two, interstate differences in the treatment of voters with more favorable allotted to voters, whether lawful or unlawful in areas administered by local government under Democrat control and with populations with higher ratios of Democrat voters than other areas of defendant states. That's just true. And it's obviously true because Biden underperformed everywhere except in the places that are disputed. But somehow he wins the election based on those. Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that kick cat bar. Give me a break. You guys remember that, right? If you don't remember that, you're going to think I'm crazy. I accept it, but I'm not crazy. That's all I have to say about that. Third bullet point. The appearance of voting irregularities in the defendant states that would be consistent with the unconstitutional relaxation of ballot integrity, protections in those states election laws. Obviously. There is no ballot integrity in these states and you can watch it on video. You can also know just by reading anything about the Dominion machines. You can also know just based on the Supreme Court decisions in those states. And you can also know just by thinking. All these flaws, even the violations of state election law, violate one or more of the federal requirements for elections, i.e., equal protection, due process, and the electors' clause, and thus arise under federal law. See Bush-Gore some legal stuff. Parentheses. Significant departure from the legislative scheme for appointing presidential electors presents a federal constitutional question. Correct. Correct. These rules in Pennsylvania and elsewhere were not emanating from the legislature. Governors made the rules. Stacey Abrams signed off on a consent decree with Brad Raffensperger in Georgia. Gavin Newsom just dropped ballots from a fucking helicopter. That's not how it's supposed to work. Nailed it. It presents a federal constitutional question. And that was from 20 years ago. Does that case law still matter? Sure does. Plaintiff state respectfully submits that the foregoing types of electoral irregularities exceed the hanging chad saga of the 2000 election in their degree of departure from both state and federal law. Moreover, these flaws cumulatively preclude knowing who legitimately won the 2020 election and threaten to cloud all future elections. Taken together. These flaws affect an outcome determinative number of popular votes in a group of states that cast outcome determinative numbers of electoral votes. This court should grant leave to file the complaint and ultimately enjoin the use of unlawful election results without review And ratification by the defendant state's legislatures and remand to the defendant state's respective legislatures to appoint presidential electors in a manner consistent with the electors clause and pursuant to three U.S. code section two. And that's like the introduction to the case. If you want to read the rest of it, you can find it. It's not hard to find. I have it on the information stream on the good old telegram. But so what that last paragraph is saying is really important. What it's saying is that these votes under dispute are what determined the outcome in all of these states. And the fact that it happened is what determined the outcome in the country. So, for instance, if President Trump had three hundred and ninety electoral votes right now, like he would without Pennsylvania. And then Pennsylvania would have given him the four ten that he probably had. Because there was a great, great red wave. And anyone denying that is just a fucking moron at this point. Like the idea that Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump is insane. You only believe that if your head is so far up your own ass that you think your hatred for Donald Trump translates across the entire nation. And that your ignorance to what people have dealt with since March because of all this coronavirus nonsense is also reflected throughout the nation. Basically commies, Obamies and maskies all believe that everyone else is as dumb and ignorant and uncaring as they are. And they're not right about that. And so the fact that the illegal stuff changes the results in all these places And the results in these places change the result of the overall election. We have states like Texas and hopefully others that will join. Who are saying clearly we should not have to abide this because this does affect us. And they are absolutely right. Now, it's sad that Republicans in Georgia and Arizona. Can't find their spines and stand up for what's right on their own. But to the extent they're not doing that, this needs to be rectified elsewhere. Now, separate from that case, Pennsylvania filed its response to Mike Kelly's lawsuit. And they filed that this morning with Samuel Alito. And you can read that case as well. On the Supreme Court's website, I am going to just give you their preliminary statement, or at least a piece of it. It's a little long. Hopefully this won't get too boring. If it does get boring, I'm just going to stop talking, and then you'll never know when the podcast actually ended. Petitioners ask this court to undertake one of the most dramatic, disruptive invocations of judicial power in the history of the republic. Now, when they're mentioning the petitioners, this is Mike Kelly And Josh Parnell. So that's the petitioners. No court has ever issued an order nullifying a governor's certification of presidential election results. And for good reason, quote, once the door is open to judicial invalidation of presidential election results, it will be awfully hard to close that door again. The loss of public trust in our constitutional order resulting from the exercise of this kind of judicial power would be incalculable. Close quote. Now. This is from a case last week. That's the case law they're citing. So a corrupt decision is cited in their response, trying to defend another corrupt decision. Got it. In seeking such unprecedented relief, petitioners might be expected to present claims of the utmost constitutional gravity. Instead, the pair of claims they advance are fundamentally frivolous. Neither claim was pressed or passed upon below. Neither claim implicates a circuit split. Both claims are mired in procedural and jurisdictional defects that preclude this court's review. The first question, which seeks to raise elections and electors clause challenges to Act 77, is not actually presented by this case. And the second question, which argues that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court violated the first and 14th amendments in its application of latches. I don't know what that is. Asked the court to constitutionalize huge swaths of state procedural law without any Credible basis in constitutional principles or this court's precedents. Even if petitioners could surmount these obstacles, they would still need to justify the relief they seek. This first of its kind injunction raises major constitutional questions, yet, Petitioners address none of them. They do not explain how a remedy premised on massive disenfranchisement would accord with the due process clause, which requires the counting of votes in reasonable reliance on existing election rules as implemented and described by state officials, nor do they seek to square their position with separation of powers, the 12th Amendment or basic principles of federalism all of which foreclose the injunctive relief that the petitioners seek here. These failings to explain why equity stands as an inseparable obstacle to petitioners' application. Quote, democracy depends on counting all lawful votes promptly and finally, not setting them aside without weighty proof. The public must have confidence that our government honors and respects their votes. Unquote. This is from a case from two weeks ago. Wow. Really got deep into the case law here. But petitioners would throw all that to the wind. After waiting over a year to challenge Act 77 and engaging in procedural gamesmanship along the way, they come to this court with unclean hands and ask it to disenfranchise an entire state. They make that request without any acknowledgement of the staggering upheaval, turmoil, and acrimony it would unleash. In issuing equitable relief, this court rightly seeks to avoid inflaming social disorder. So to say that the public interest militates against petitioners would be a grave understatement. Their suit is nothing less than an affront to constitutional democracy. It should meet a swift and decisive end. So apparently the Democrats are using the defense. They are basically having a fit of the mads and sads about the election. So. What they're saying is that if the court were to make them validate and justify and support the results that they have corruptly certified, if the court is to turn those over, that would be an affront to our society and to the Constitution. Because they would be invalidating the results of a presidential election. And it would be hard to close that door again. Well, so what? If on constitutional grounds, they invalidate the state's results. Good. The state's results should align with the Constitution. That's the point. Hold fair elections and you won't have this problem. This is massive, widespread, systematic fraud that was repeated not only in Pennsylvania, but in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Georgia, in Nevada, in Arizona, and very likely in those other blue states I mentioned earlier. Pretty much anywhere where Mark Zuckerberg threw his money at the election system, wherever he put his little drop boxes. Like wherever, wherever Mark Zuckerberg put a drop box, we should subtract 10,000 votes for every drop box. And then let's see what the results are. But this crack team of Democrat attorneys is arguing that their fraudulent election results that have now caused the majority of the country to find this election illegitimate if those were to be overturned, the fallout would be incalculable because that would make a smaller portion of the country find the election results illegitimate. Oh. Okay, so if we leave it as it is, there a majority of the country will no longer have faith in the electoral system. But if we change it, Way less people will have no faith in the electoral system. Well, that's good. Let's go with that. And how about this? That smaller portion who claims to have faith in the election system right now doesn't. They're lying. You know how I know they're lying? Because you can't quiz them on anything. And that includes state senators. You can just go back and look at that woman, Elena Parent, from last week down in Georgia, who tried to say that the video of election fraud, as it happened, had been thoroughly debunked, even though no one had seen it before. Do you think she's prepared for a quiz? No fucking chance. The truth is that the only thing that might make commies and Obamies and maskies reconsider their positions is having a copy of the Constitution shoved directly up their asses after it was taped to the toe of Samuel Alito's boot. And that's what should happen. There's going to be a serious lesson on how the Constitution works in very short order. And it is necessary. We need to get back down to basics here like one person, one vote. You don't need machines to count those infractions. You don't need algorithms to add one plus one plus one plus one plus one. And here's another funny one. So there was a meeting of the Joint Congressional Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies today. Now, the members of this little committee are Nancy Pelosi Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Roy Blunt, Amy Klobuchar, and Steny Hoyer. And they voted 3-3, which, by the way, is not a passing vote, on a simple resolution essentially acknowledging Biden as president-elect. This is from Heather Cagle on Twitter. Hoyer offered the resolution, which failed 3-3. Other committee members are Pelosi, McConnell, McCarthy, Blunt and Klobuchar. The resolution was very basic for folks with knowledge. I would have it would have notified American people that Congress is preparing for inauguration of Biden and Harris in coordination with health experts as we observe this transition of power. Blunt issued a statement say, on the vote saying, "It is not the job of the Joint Congressional Committee on inaugural ceremonies to get ahead of the electoral process and decide who we are inaugurating. The JCCIC is facing the challenge of planning safe inaugural ceremonies during a global pandemic. I would hope that going forward, the members of the JCCIC would adhere to the committee's long-standing tradition of bipartisan cooperation and focus on the task at hand. Beautiful. And I really, really like, you know, I thought Mitch was off the team and I thought Ted Cruz was off the team. And now it's like they want to be back on the team. And so. I'm I'm 50 50 on them. I got a wait and see approach. All can be forgiven if you stand up for the will of the American people by supporting Donald Trump. But it's good to know that people in leadership positions in the House and Senate will not acknowledge that Joe Biden is the president-elect because, of course, he is not. It's kind of wonderful. You know what? I was really fucking disappointed this morning. Sorry to bitch for a second. Sorry I'm swearing so much. It is what it is. But, you know, I've I've subscribed for for months and months now, whenever he started it, but Kevin D. Williamson – who I used to read constantly in the National Review before I canceled my subscription for them being a bunch of sellout cucks. Sorry. Uh, Not sorry. I don't say sorry. Not sorry. I just really meant I'm not sorry. God damn it. Kind of put myself in a hole there. But the first sentence he uh, of his newsletter this morning, he said, President-elect Joe Biden. And I was like, sorry, buddy, you're out of the club. I love you. You're a brilliant writer, but you're done. This is stupid. Like, you don't need to lie. It doesn't matter how much you hate Trump. He also hates Biden, which is why it's even stranger. The idea that these people, like, take this as fait accompli is nuts to me. But whatever. Joe Biden is not the president-elect. I think we all know that. And the funny thing is that they try to do these things the Democrats do. Like, this is like a Pelosi tactic all the time. She wants to pass these resolutions so that they can go out to the media and say. Look, these guys recognize Joe Biden as the president elect. But that didn't happen. And so now there's just news out there saying specifically that they don't recognize that. And of course they don't because it's not true. It's amazing how many different ways they are trying to convince the public that Joe Biden won the election, even though he didn't win. Now. Finally, uh, this piece in Axios, definitely give it a look. It says uh, the headline is exclusive suspected Chinese spy targeted California politicians. Shocker. And this is coming on the heels of a video being released yesterday of a professor in China at one of the Communist Party's universities. That's where he's a professor. That's not where the speech was. But he's talking about how they have uh, plants within the U.S. government and within U.S. systems of power, including on Wall Street, and that this is why they're all against Donald Trump. Wall Street is against Donald Trump and China is against Donald Trump, because basically. China's systems of influence. Were diminished and or removed when Trump got into office. And so Wall Street and China got very upset about this because he's cutting off their corrupt money flow. And any American should be happy about that. Of course, Democrats aren't because they think it's no big deal, which is as dumb as you can get. Like, let's say I'm I'm an Amazon Prime delivery driver and I go up to someone's front door and... Knock, knock, knock. And uh, Akami answers. And I say, hey, Maskey, here's your latest shipment of masks and uh, sterilizing products. Gosh, your house smells like chemicals. Uh, You know, you got a a massive anaconda on your couch. And he'd be like, that's not a big that's not a big deal. Everybody knows anacondas don't go on couches. And you're like, okay. Are we, are, maybe it's a boa constrictor? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. If there was a boa constrictor on my couch, the news would tell me. Okay, Kami. See you later, Maskey. Can you sign for this? Okay, see you later. You can't touch the pen? All right. Why are you spraying me down? I'm leaving. It's like they're trying to to punish me like some small kitten who's acting up. But the thing is, they just don't care about existential threats because they don't believe they have them. Because their decisions don't matter at all. Why? Because of privilege, because of the proper definition of privilege. It doesn't matter if they make wrong decisions throughout their entire lives. There is no consequence because someone else is footing the bill. Or someone else is suffering the consequences of their behavior. Always. So of course they don't care. That the Chinese have infiltrated their party and our country. And of course they don't care that they're empowering it. Because they think it's coming for them last. And that is what makes them good comrades. Now. I'm going to get out of here, but if you want a t-shirt, they're 20 bucks plus shipping. I'm figuring out the exact way to sell these. Hopefully, like I'll set up some internet portal, but I'm pretty lazy, and I don't know if I'm going to do it, uh, but just hit me up on social media, and we'll figure out a way to get you a shirt. They're really cool. Thank you to Will for producing those. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks lockdowns don't work. Joe Biden will never, ever, 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 ever be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and parlor at I'm your moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a Video Aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain.